Hi, I'm Adele Pomeranke, and you may have seen me as Ensign Kemi on Star Trek Picard, and you're listening to Trek Untold. Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. This week's guest is a very interesting one, and honestly, a bit abnormal from the typical person I chat with on this show. Their time in Star Trek was only two episodes as one character, and frankly, they haven't really done a lot of performing in TV shows or films just yet. But it's everything around them that had me interested in them. And that person is Adele Pomeranke. As I just mentioned, Adele was seen in two episodes, and that show she was in two episodes of was the second season of Star Trek Picard. And those episodes were the first and the final episodes of that season. There, you could see her as Ensign Kemi on board the bridge of the Stargazer, and she was there for all the huge events that happened at the start of and the conclusion of that season. That also meant that she was in the presence of Sir Patrick Stewart, Jerry Ryan, Alison Pill, Michelle Hurd, and Santiago Cabrera. But beyond her brief time on Picard, Adele is a professional ballerina who's also sang in a heavy metal band and danced in a My Chemical Romance music video. And really, she's done a lot of other really interesting and unique things that, to me, added up to a very fascinating person and someone that I wanted to get to know better. Adele is the antithesis of what you may think a ballerina is. And she was so down-to-earth and so wonderful that I think by the time you finish this episode, you're going to agree with me that we need to see a whole lot more of her, not just in Star Trek, but in plenty of other places. Best of all, I can say that Trek Untold spoke to her before she became the huge sensation that I'm sure she will become. So let's get on point for this one as we are spending this episode learning all about Adele Pomeranke. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold, where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info, and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. If you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com at trekuntold and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. 
And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining us on the other side of the screen, we're joined by Adele Pomeranke. Adele, how's it going today? It's going great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I saw you on Picard and, you know, I, I got, I, I want to let everybody know kind of the story of how I found out about Adele because you know, I did see you on that second season of Star Trek Picard and I got an email from your PR person and I was like, yeah, I totally want her on the show, but she was in the first episode. So I got to wait and see what happens. And I'm so glad I did wait because, uh, yeah, you got to get a lot more screen time than just that first appearance. Oh, yeah. 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 So we're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, but Adele, let me ask you first off, uh, first question I like to ask all my guests. What's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Were you a fan of the show growing up at all? My earliest memory, and I I didn't know this was my earliest memory until somebody reminded me, the Gorn. <laughs> so I grew up watching like the really old, like the original series. And uh, I remember the scene where Kirk is fighting the Gorn. <laughs> and I, I think that's my earliest memory. Yeah. That's a really good first memory to have. That's like yeah. one of the cheesiest fights ever on camera. I know. I know. And it just stuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. That's a great memory to have. Uh, so let's get some the secret origin story of you now, Adele. I'd like to hear about where you were born, who your parents are, and what did little Adele want to be when she grew up? All right. So I was born in Yakima, Washington. It's a very small agricultural town. Lots of apples, lots of hops, you know, and wine. Um, not much going on there. I mean, besides the agriculture, which is awesome. My parents. Um, so my mom, my mom is actually my mom and dad both were kind of into music a bit. So I remember that a lot. My mother's a pianist. Okay. And primarily when I was growing up, that's what I remember about her. She played piano a lot. And my dad was in the tech world. So he's, Oh man, all pro like computer programming and all that kind of stuff. Now they're grandma and grandpa and they just relax out of the old farm. So I grew up on like 18 acres. Um, it was a family farm. And then when I wanted to, what I wanted to grow up to be was a ballerina or a dancer. And that's what I've always wanted to do. I did not plan to be an actor. That was not the pl- not the plan at all. <laughs> yeah, you have had a very uh, strange journey getting into the world of acting. And uh, you know, I, we're going to get to hear all about that today. I, I only know a little bit about that just based on mm-hmm. some bio information I, I heard about you. But yeah, you have had such a interesting way to get into that area. But we'll get back to that a little bit later on here. And I do want to point out too, it's kind of fun. I, I talk to a lot of folks, and oftentimes if they have like one creative parent, that other parent is going to be someone who does something like engineer, something technical or mathematical. <laughs> it's really weird, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so true. There's so many partners actually in my family, like husband and wife situations where one is very creative and the other was like a police officer or, or you know, or like a, a works at a desk a lot, does all the left-brained activity while they're very right-brained. This <laughs> would be a pretty good yin and yang situation, I guess. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, left-brained, right-brained. Yeah. It's a very good observation. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So you mentioned you wanted to be a ballerina. So what inspired mm-hmm. you to be a ballerina? My grandmother, this lady up here, that lady right there. So, uh, but then, you know, I also just really wanted to do it, I guess. I guess it just kind of, yeah. Uh, I was three and she bought me my first ballet attire and I have a little photo of me at Christmas wearing it. And at first, you know, it's fun when you're a little kid, but then I was like really adamant about it. I really liked it a lot. I really got into it. And I, since I was three years old, I studied all forms of dance possible. I was actually thrown into 
all of the arts and creative stuff you could possibly think of. But I, I went back to ballet when I got older in my teen years. And I was like, I think I'm just going to do this for now. That's a challenging thing to want to latch onto as a kid and to keep wanting to do as you get older because, you know, ballet is hard work. I'm, I'm glad we're going to be able to talk about this today because I've had a few folks come on who do dance, but no one who's a professional at your level of doing that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a really fascinating thing, the whole art of ballet, and it's a tough, yeah. tough thing to do. Yeah, I had class today and rehearsal today already. Yeah, so whew, I'm sore from that. Yeah. So, Adele, did you go to like a specialized school after high school for dancing? Um, in a way. So I got my GED. My dad and my grandmother both agreed to pull me out of school before I didn't even graduate because um, I was okay. actually skipping school a lot because <laughs> I didn't, didn't really feel like I fit in anyways. And I was a bad kid, but I would skip school to do all that bad stuff, but also skip school to go to ballet. Fair enough. <laughs> so, of course, all the adults in my small town are like, hey, your daughter's here instead of at school. <laughs> so I got my GED and then I continued training. And then I went to actually got into a company right away in Tennessee, but then I backtracked and I trained at Nashville Ballet. And I, I'd say that's where I did my pre-professional training was at Nashville Ballet. Yeah, that's kind of what you do. You train with a company for the most part. Some people end up going to schools and like homeschooling. There's a lot of different routes, but that's the one that I took. So what exactly is a curriculum for a person becoming a professional dancer? <sighs> oh, man. Uh, they can you go back in time now. Yeah, right. It's different. America is different than other countries. Every country is kind of different. America's tough because you're still going to public school, you know, and not everywhere you go has like an art school where you're mostly studying dance and then you're learning your basic fundamentals of education. So it was like, I remember um, my parents trying lots of different types of schooling for me because I was so busy with dance all the time. But most of the time it was school all day. Um, my grandmother would write notes so I wouldn't have to do PE because whatever they asked me to do in PE could hurt my ballet career. Oh, and then yeah. I was out of, get out of class. I wish <laughs> right? I had that going on. Kind of cool. Right. So I get out of class and then I would go to the studio for, oh my gosh, uh, anywhere from two to five hours, about five days a week, four or five, some, if nutcracker season was around, we were rehearsing six days a week. Um, and the curriculum is, it's, unless you know it, you know it, it's basic positions, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and then you slowly work your way into other stuff. It's bar work and then center work and then rehearsal, rehearsal and studying different ballets and terminology. And it's actually a lot of training to be your own physical therapist, I mm. think, your whole life. Learning anatomy a lot, too. Um, you learn way more about anatomy than other kids do at a very young age. And by the way, I just like that you called something nutcracker season. Like I know exactly what that time of year is based on that, but that's, that's such a ballet <laughs> thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's the season. It is the nutcracker season. Yeah. So I think, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know if I have my timelines correct here, but eventually I, I believe you moved to join the dance theater of Tennessee mm -hmm. in Nashville, right? So is that after this? Yeah, that's after my childhood of training. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I guess tell me a little bit about what you, well, I guess we'll start at the beginning there. Right? How did you join that troupe? And what is a dance audition like for those of us who don't know what that is? And uh, what did you learn there? So a lot of auditions can be in person or you can send in a video. I sent in a video because I couldn't go to Tennessee and they weren't touring near me because I was living in Washington state still. So I sent in a video and then they invited me to go to their summer intensive. So basically a company when they have a certain style of dancing because there's different styles of dancing different techniques if you will um you get to study with them for the summer and if you catch on and you fit in well and keep up 
they'll offer you a contract. And that's what I did. So I stayed at, um, I want to stay, I want to say Belmont. I stayed at Belmont in Nashville, Belmont University in Nashville, and um, went to their summer intensive for five weeks and did their performance for their intensive. And then they invited me to stay on as an apprentice in their company. And so I danced with them for a season and then Nashville ballet invited me to train with them pre-professional, which was a little less than an apprentice, but Nashville ballet is a very large company. That's very, very well known. They're one of the, the best. I think they're great. So then of course I said yes to that. And that led me to go there next. So when you're with this troupe now, I mean, are you touring around the country or are you guys going international? What, what's, uh, what's life like with that company? So when I was in dance theater of Tennessee, we toured just Tennessee okay. and we were a touring company. We did smaller works and then Nashville ballet, they're bigger, but they have a home theater, like a home studio, um, which is TPAC, Tennessee performance arts, um, center. And sometimes a tour or do different projects or go here, there, it's, it kind of depends on where you are. Some companies just tour. Some companies never tour and just stay in their one place. Some companies have a few dancers that will go off on tour. Who I'm dancing with now, I just started with, we'll do a few little tours just around Southern California and just mostly LA area. Have you had the opportunity to do any performing overseas? No, not yet. I really actually really wanted to. Um, fun little fact, I guess. I studied German for four years because I was adamant I was going to move to like Hamburg or somewhere and dance with one of the companies over there um, before Nashville happened, before I got invited to dance in Tennessee. So that's still something I've thought about doing, just an opportunity to go dance someplace else, experience ballet in a different country. Yeah, yeah that'd be very interesting because ballet it very much is a kind of a universal language also and i feel like in europe it's appreciated in a much different way just because of the history of it and the lineage of it there yeah yeah and it's like a small big world too like i'll end up going to a different country and we'll probably know some of the same people just like in film too or like in star trek like the star trek universe it's the yeah. same way <laughs> so you know for folks who don't exactly understand what a ballerina does and that kind of thing what would you say is the most difficult part about being a ballerina mm. Waking up and doing it when you don't want to, because you have to. That's it. Just waking up and just because it's, it takes all of you. It takes all of your brain power, emotional power, physical power, spiritual power, everything you have. Like you have to leave your issues at the door. And if, if you can't, you have to just keep moving and keep going. You can't just stop in the middle of an exercise and be like, I don't feel like doing this. You have to do everything the best of your ability. There are no excuses. Being tired is not an excuse. Being sad or upset or angry is an excuse. Instead, you should use it, you know, keep going, keep moving. And there's mornings where I wake up. I was like, I don't want to do this at all. Like you're just crying sometimes. Cause you're just like, it takes so much out of you. Same with athletes too, though. And same with 3 a.m. call times on set, too. <laughs> but that's the hardest part about ballet because it asks for a thousand percent of everything you have to offer every single day. I think that's such a misnomer that a lot of folks have about the creative world in that, you know, for, for artists, for dancers, for anybody who's in the performing arts, especially, you know, it's like they think you just go on, you do this thing and it just happens. But it's it's a discipline. That's a word that I think gets lost yeah. in the whole creative aspect. It's the discipline of what you do. Yeah. And that's what makes you go further in life with it. I always tell my friends, I'm like, it's almost militant, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like the military of art forms. 
that's a, that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm wondering, you know, I, I know ballet mostly through like movies or things like that. And you see things like yeah. Black Swan, for example. And I wonder like, if you see something like that, how much of it are you saying like, oh, wow, that's my real everyday life. And how much of that just kind of like blown up Hollywood nonsense? Actually, Black Swan, they did a pretty good job. Okay. They really did. Yeah. Other shows and movies, I'm like, you know, there's just moments where you're like, come on, where was this person here to like, be like, that's incorrect. You know? Um, yeah. I remember I was watching John Wick. Um, I think chapter three it was, and there's the scene with the ballerina and most of it's pretty well done, but then there was the part where she's doing forte turns and most people won't know that, but when she's on the stage and she's turning and falling and she's being yelled at, the music in the background is Swan Lake, but it's not the music she would do the forte turns to. And that drove me insane because that's not the part in the ballet that she'd be doing those turns. That's a different scene. <laughs> the music is, it's not, you need the music to, to count your turns. So, um, but Black Swan did a pretty good job. I don't know. It's hard. Ballet is a difficult thing to put on screen. Apparently that's kind of a secret goal I have. I kind of want to help with that help people do that better <laughs> that'd be cool yeah because you know i was gonna actually ask about that because ballet especially it is such a traditional and very regimented thing you yeah. used the word militant before that's a great term i think with oh, that yeah. because of just how it is the style of it you know it's very much it is what it is the angles that yeah. you're trying to create with your body and the the gestural movements that you're trying to do it's it's very different than like freeform dance and break dance and anything like that it's much looser um so i mean for you as a professional dancer i mean do you ever scream or yearn for that kind of freedom to explore movement in a different way or are you kind of content with doing the traditional ballet that really hasn't necessarily changed that much in the last 100 200 years oh yeah i like different movement that's that's for sure um anytime i get an invite to do different movement i like it a lot i still really love point shoes though something about putting the point shoes on i like that but i like doing I know. I know. It's really bad. It's so true though. It's like, um, it's satisfying because it's that very, um, I worked really hard to wear those comfortably and now I enjoy them. Um, but I like wearing point shoes, but then doing like contemporary or free works like that, or I've done some music videos where I just got to do different types of dancing. And that was, that's a lot of fun to move differently. And so, you know, I've mostly been looking at IMDb to get information about you and some of your performing stuff, but a lot of your dancing stuff I have no idea about. So uh, I'd love to hear if you can tell us maybe a little story about a performance that you're most proud of that you've done somewhere and why you're proud of it. Most proud of? Um, most proud of. I guess there would be a couple of them. Okay. I think one I'm most proud of that nobody's really nobody's seen me do is I did um, – Balanchines. I did Fascinate and Rhythm, which if anybody's a ballet dancer, they'll know what that is. I did that as a performance for my grandmother when I was 25 before she passed away. And it is one of the most difficult, intricate, fast, fun, contemporary pieces. And it's one of my favorites to do. And I nailed it. I felt like I nailed it. And it felt really good, at least at the time where my technique was. I'm sure if I did it now, I could probably do it better. <laughs> but And she got to see me do that before she passed away. And uh, it's, there's no video, there's nothing of it, unfortunately, because, you know, you're not supposed to really perform those works without the balancing trust being okay, but I got to perform for her, you know. And then another work I did that I'm most proud of in my career-wise was when I got to be Helena for my Chemical Romances short film, A Summoning, because that just came out of nowhere. I was like, oh, cool. And they just were like, okay, we're going to cast you for this. So I just threw like a... Facebook post actually, or like a Facebook message. 
And uh, next thing you know, I'm like, oh, oh, that's what we're, oh, Helena. It didn't really click until like a couple days before I went on set. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And then we were doing the video and then I didn't know that they were having me recreate her entirely. Yeah, let's talk about that because I saw that your credits and like, by the way, I should mention you're like the first person who's ever done anything with MCR on this podcast. So that alone is (laughs) awesome. Uh, But yeah, it's such a bizarre, beautiful video uh, and great use of your skills as well. So yeah, talk to me about that shoot as well, because that's got to be such a crazy big production, I would imagine. It was actually pretty small, but everybody on it was like a game, wore a lot of hats Mm. and got it done. I remember uh, Christian Mercado asking me about uh, the shoes because they had the black flats, which are just flat shoes. They don't go all the way up on your toes. And that's what she wore in the original video. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a, this, there's been evolution in dance on film since, you know, the early 2000s. And I was like, I said, well, I painted some point shoes black. And I think if you want to do it just like her, we should do the flat shoes. But if you want this to be your something that's like an evolved version, I think if we wore point shoes, it would be really impressive to people like, oh, this is like, Helena's, you know, I don't know what the word is, like her growth, if you would, like her evolution of her. And um, so I wore the point shoes. And if you look at the video, actually, fun little bit, one one of the ribbons broke and it's tied on there really weird. (laughs) You can't really tell because I'm moving so fast, but it's tied on there weird. But that that was a really proud moment for me. And I didn't even realize what I was doing until... I was on set. I was like, oh, this, oh, or like a day before, I think I was like, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay, cool. Did you happen to get a chance to meet Gerard Way or any, any of their uh, band members that were there? Or were there unless any band members were, there? Unless they were sneaking around in those masks, those vampire masks you, you see. Uh-uh, I didn't get to meet him then. I, th- I think they were, what were they doing at the time? This was right before COVID, by the way. Oh, okay. Like, it came out, I filmed this in January. It came out like a month later, and then a month later, COVID hits. So I think they were probably rehearsing and getting ready for their tour because this was to like release that their tour was going to come out. And so aside from that, too, you know, there's a lot more stuff I'd love to ask you about dancing. But I do want to ask you about this other kind of peculiar thing that I found out about you. And that was that you were a singer in a heavy metal rock band, I think. Yeah, Nashville for a little bit. We rehearsed, rehearsed, recorded, submitted some stuff. Nothing ever got out and we never got to really perform. But I have like all the book of my songs and yeah, I ended up move, getting cast in a movie here and flying here. And then next thing you know, being like, I guess it's time to move to LA. But yeah, yeah. My best friend was the bass player and we wrote a bunch of stuff together and um, rehearsed in my town home. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was good. We were writing some good stuff. Ah, it was, yeah, I miss music a lot. That's mm-hmm. a, such a contrast to go from ballet dancing to yeah. headbanging. I mean, that's that's quite a contrast of styles, isn't it? I know. I'm just such a weirdo sometimes. But I think, like I said, balance. We were talking about balance earlier. I think that's what it is. It's like uh, I would have this very, you know, this regiment of ballet and classical and, you know, being proper. And then I come home and we had a drum set. And sometimes I would just mess around with the drum set, just like get my aggression out in a different way. And, um, I don't know, the the yin and yang. So just to refresh my memory here, was it the MCR gig that was what brought you over to Hollywood? No, it wasn't actually. Um, that was like one of my first gigs when I moved to Hollywood. Um, it was Penitent Thief with Kevin Sorbo. It was like a faith-based film. Yeah, 
I got that. I played Herodias. So I played, I just had a few lines with Kevin Sorbo and James Russo. And that was my first like work with some first lines with A-listers. I mean, is that intimidating to be one of your earliest gigs? And there you are with Hercules himself in the flesh. Yeah, I know. So, you know, you mentioned now that you're off in Hollywood. You're now performing. Uh, So... When did you get bitten by the acting bug exactly? Was it was this really wasn't part of your plan, right? So how did that all happen? Yes, it was not part of my plan. So random, and I, I love it. Um, so I got cast to be a dancer for a pilot, and this pilot was going to be kind of like a reality show in a sense. It was going to be basically the premise was a bunch of musicians, dancers, and singers create works of art, works of like performances, like cover songs, kind of similar to like Glee and stuff like that. But you we'd tour on a bus and go touring and then perform it. And then there would be uh, cameras in our faces all the time. Um, I don't know if they were going to take me with or not, but I got the pilot to be one of the dancers to pitch the project. Um, the project was going to get picked up and it seemed like it was going to. And instead of renewing my contract with Nashville Ballet for the next season, I said yes to going on this tour with them and being in the show and it fell through uh, last minute. And that, that actually happens unfortunately. And so I was kind of freaked out because I was now a whole season and as a ballet dancer, anybody that dances or even somebody in sports, you know, not having a contract for a season, very scary. Um, and I was like, hey, what do I do? Right. Um, so I got an agent. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get an agent and see if I can get some commercials or some acting gigs that way. Cause I had an agent before when I was like a teenager and trying to do commercials and stuff. But then my parents were like, no, we want you to be a kid. So like, I think I'm going to try and get an agent and see if I can get out there. You know, and I've tried this actually, actually I tried it as well when I lived in Seattle years and years and years ago, there were different times where I just tried to do the whole acting modeling thing. And it, I just went back to dance. But this time I was getting work. I got cast in music videos. Um, I got cast in Frankie Ballard's Cigarette, where I like played a stripper, basically. And gotta pay the bills. Got, huh? Gotta pay the bills. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long. <laughs> and then um, I got cast in. Uh, some background work, I decided, okay, so I'm getting this music video work and little gigs here and there. And they're a lot of fun. I'm like, well, maybe I should try this background work because somebody was talking about it. And I did. Cause I figure if you want to see if you want to do something, you should try and see if you can handle the, the bottom of the totem pole in a sense. Right. So I was like, all right, let's give it a try. So I got on the TV show Nashville and still the King. And I was getting pulled aside to do featured stuff. And then I got cast in Novitiate, Novitiate, sorry, with Melissa Leo and like Diana Agron and Margaret Qualley, one of the firsts, um, and Aline Powell. And I ended up being a recurring principal character with them and playing a nun. <laughs> Very different than the stripper role. <laughs> the stripper role was first and then the nun role happened later. <laughs> and Talk then about I balance again. Yeah, yeah. And I got my first lines actually I'm gonna say actually that before all of before I wanna say before all of that actually, my very first role as an actor was on Hair of the Dog. I got cast as Cat 
And I think, yeah, that's that's what made me really fall in love with it was that. That was before the music videos, actually. Yes. Okay. Feels like it was all just one big thing, man. So my very first acting audition, I remember being like really nervous and like having the monologue memorized. I did the monologue and then I got cast as Cat for this horror film. And the horror film's done really well. It's called Hair of the Dog. Got all sorts of awards and stuff like that. So everybody check out Hair of the Dog. Yeah. And then I just went for it after that. And next thing you know, I got cast, like I said, with Kevin Sorbo and Penitent Thief. And the minute I was flying here for that, I was like, okay, maybe I should think about moving there, (laughs) moving to L.A. And the rest is history. Yes, or it will be one day. (laughs) Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D-printed Star Trek and sci-fi-inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Nego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the U.S., with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay what you want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using UNTOLD10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible until it happens. Have you ever watched a YouTube video and said you wish you could do what they were doing? Whether it's the filming, the production, the editing. Maybe you listen to your favorite podcast and you wondered how they put that show together, how they got that great sound quality, what gear they use. How much does it cost to get started? Or maybe you checked out a video or read a book about one of your favorite entrepreneurs and it made you say, I want to live that life. I want to do what they do. Then check out my podcast, Toys and Tech of the Trade. I'm Rich Butler and I've been making podcasts for almost two decades, speaking with experts across all fields to get to the bottom of the hows and whys of their achievements. Each week I sit down with these amazing people who have carved their own path in life and share the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they rely on to create their content, the methods that they use to run their business, and the habits and trends that are part of their daily routine and their way of life. And all of that, of course, gets put together to make them successful. We pull back the curtain on the process to help you understand what these people do differently so that you can draw inspiration and get ideas and be inspired so that you can take action today. 
This podcast is inspiring, educational, it's enlightening, and most of all, it's a lot of fun. I want you to join me on this journey so that you can use the tools and advice shared in this podcast to level up your business or creative endeavors, giving you all the tips, tactics, and tools so that you can transform what you're doing from a side hustle into a full-time lifestyle where you can collect a paycheck for doing what you love. Check out Toys and Tech of the Trade wherever you listen to podcasts and check out the RageWorks Network at RageWorksNetwork.com for more info on this podcast and all of the many other great shows that we have on the RageWorks Podcast Network. That's Toys and Tech of the Trade with some assembly required. All right, well, Dell, let's beam into our Star Trek discussion here. And we're talking about Star Trek Picard Season 2, and you played Ensign Kemi. I believe that's how you're going to say her name. That's how I'm going to say her name. Uh, you can yeah. correct me if I'm wrong about that, but... Yeah, so. That's my it. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, good. It's good enough for you. Then that works for me. Uh, so as we mentioned at the start of this interview, you were in the first episode and you're also in the last episode of that season. Uh, and man, she had a hard time that uh, bridge of the stargazer. But yeah, let's talk about very first steps into this here. How did you get cast for the role? And did you know it was a Star Trek show you were auditioning for? So, um, I got the, the email from my manager at the time and, uh, I did not know it was until I saw the lines and then I read them and I was like, this is Star Trek. <laughs> Cause it was, it was titled as a, a different, you know, a working title. It was some made up something or other. Um, and it didn't sound spacey at all. It was like somebody's kitchen or something like that. And I, I read the lines and I was like, this is, this is Star Trek. If it's not Star Trek, it's it's some type of space situation. But the only thing I could think of at the time was Star Trek happening. Um, so I was pretty sure that's what it was. And that's what I just prepared it for, as if it was Star Trek. Because even if it wasn't Star Trek, that was the kind of energy they were going to want anyways. And uh, I got the role. Um, how quickly did I get it? I got it just like, I want to say just like a, couple days after I submitted that, maybe just a day after it was just super quick. Now, did you know that you were auditioning to be an alien or did you have any idea what this role is going to actually be? Or is it all just still a mystery at that point? I didn't know what I was going to be. The lines made it seem like just a, uh, I think, I think the lines kind of sounded like she was a, said, I think it said she was a science officer or a doctor or something like that. Yeah. So that, that's what made me know that it was Star Trek because of that little bit in there. All right. So, you know, you are an alien now in this case, and I imagine this is also your first time ever doing prosthetic makeup, right? No, I've oh, done okay. a little bit of prosthetics before, um, not over like the front of my head, but um, <laughs> like I did, I've done a little bit of like horror short films and I did some stuff with um, Crypt TV and there was a little bit of prosthetics used to like, you know, like the fake blood or like keep the little bandana on me and things like that. But it was my first time having this much of my face yeah. <laughs> covered on a daily basis regularly. And what was that process like and how long did that take? I mean, you know, because as you mentioned, you did, you've done a little bit, but I imagine this in mm-hmm. that case would be a lot more intensive than what you're used to doing. It was. It it was me and Bianca, my makeup artist, um, were probably some of the first people there. You know, besides the the grips and everybody that comes in and sets up, oh my God bless them. That is the worst. <laughs> I can't imagine. But we're we're there at like um, three in the morning, three thirty. I think was the earliest. 
3 a.m. was the earliest time. And it was about four hours in the chair, um, including full makeup and everything. And then hair as well. Yeah, I think all of it was about four hours. And what she would do is there's this prospect she put on and it went over. It went over my regular eyebrows. No, we weren't going to use my real eyebrows. We were going to go over my eyebrows. So it would blend in here on my eyelids, on the top of my eyelids. And then every day, brand new set of, of eyebrows were placed on. And the most impressive part about it was that she got the eyebrows on there. The continuity of them being perfect because they could move a little bit was like right on every day. Just wow. yeah, right where it was supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> every day. Super <laughs> and how long was that shoot, by the way? Mm, I was there for two weeks. Two weeks of that. So, wow. Yeah. That's some good and overtime think, pay. I'm thinking about people that do that on a daily basis. They're just like the alien, some type of creature, anything like for three months straight for a film or something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought that would be insane because just two weeks of that on my head every day. I remember the last time we took it off and I was like, oh, okay, thank God. <laughs> And not only that, you're in the makeup chair doing all of that, but you're also a Starfleet officer, which means you got to put on the outfit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm so jealous you got to actually wear the proper Starfleet uniform on that bridge. But, you know, no. I've heard a lot of stories about it and about how it feels. Uh, I would imagine for someone like you who's a professional dancer, you are used to very tight, constraining clothes. But uh, mm -hmm. talk to me about how that uniform felt to wear. Was it was it comfortable, easy to work with? It was super comfortable. Yeah, because yeah. you're right. Because as a ballerina, I'm used to like, here, here's the corset and now go run. Right. Okay. That's fair. Right? <laughs> but this is like, I was like, Oh, this is really comfortable. I think the worst part where there, there was like suspenders on the inside to keep the pants just right. Um, those were very obnoxious, especially when you're mic'd up and then like you have to go to the bathroom. It's just a whole thing going on, but putting it on and then having all the makeup on and everything done and just standing on this ship because they built a real ship basically, um, I was like, I think I can actually fly this thing. I was like, I'm pretty sure if I go sit there and push the right button, this ship will go somewhere. Like, <laughs> it was really surreal. It was very real at the same time. And that Stargazer Bridge, too. I mean, just watching it on my computer and on TV, you know, that's a heck of a looking set. And yeah, it must have been just amazing to just walk around it and just take all that in. Yeah, I did, too. I did probably in moments I wasn't supposed to because I had to. just had to. And what was your perspective? And I mean that literally in a literal sense here. What was your point of view sitting in that chair? I mean, what did you see essentially that you were staring at for that entire two weeks? <laughs> it kind of depends on when the camera was moving around. Um, but a lot of times uh, there's this big cutout hole. So I saw if it wasn't everybody here in front of me shooting this way, it was a big, huge green screen <laughs> where that giant window is, you know, the, the, you know, the view screen and all that right there. It was, so it was pretty realistic. My brain could fill in the, the spaces. And, you know, we mentioned how this audition for the role was very secretive. What was it like on set though? I mean, did you guys have security officers? There's like, was there like a constant NDA you had to sign every single day? Like, Hey, don't talk about this on this day. Like uh, how tight was that ship? Literally. Yeah, it was tight. It was tight. And I think it's because of all these streaming services. Like everybody wants to know what everyone else is doing so that they can, you know, compete. And it's, it's actually yeah much more intense than it used to be. It used to be able to kind of have more fun and like take photos backstage and things like that. But now everything was so private and hush hush. And I did have to sign an NDA before I even got the script for the audition. Wow. And yeah. And 
Um, I remember somebody did get in trouble for taking a photo at one point and they, it was a big deal. Um, but honestly, I liked that. I liked that my phone stayed far away. I wouldn't even take it to my chair with me. Sometimes I just leave it in my trailer because I just wanted to be there in that moment and not be on my phone either. And I'm glad that it's, I'm kind of glad now that things are really tight knit like that in a way. I know that it kind of sucks. It has to be and why, but it's nice because it makes you kind of live in that moment and be there and really appreciate it. Now your scenes too have basically the entire cast, just about the entire cast is there. Uh, you know, you've got mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart, you have Jerry Ryan, you have Michelle Hurd, Alison Pill, Santiago Cabrera. I mean, that's kind of amazing. Uh, were they there for that entire two weeks or was it kind of cycling in and out? How was that? They were there the entire two weeks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were there working, talking, we chat, really nice people. Awesome. Found out that Michelle heard um, her husband and my aunt are good friends. Super <laughs> random. I was like, what? From my hometown in the middle of nowhere. So it's really a small world. Yeah. Jerry Ryan. I worked with her, talked with her a little bit. She's super cool. Um, I don't know. They're all, they're all really awesome people who are all really easy to work with too. And we're good at their jobs and got work done. And I, it felt really comfortable. I never at one moment felt like the young riffraff that was inconveniencing them. Like it, it was a good environment. I would imagine it's a very good environment, especially for learning because you are around some pretty big heavy hitters there. So you know, you're watching these yeah. folks work. Tell me if you learned anything from watching them and what it was that you learned from your, your time observing all of them. Yeah. What did I learn? Oh, that there is so much more room for you to be your own personality within this character. Okay. Like they, like they don't need as much detailed direction. That's kind of a downfall for me as a dancer, because as a ballet dancer, it's every tiny detail is told to you how you're going to do it. And then you have really small space to be an artist, but on set you have lines, you have your order of your costume. Here's your marks. And you have a much bigger space to be who your character is and watching them create their character and keep up with who their character is that they created in their head, uh, different takes and approaching it in different ways, but still at being that character, very impressive. And something I was like, okay, that's what, that's what I need to work on. And you also got to have a wonderful scene where Captain McCard yells at you talk about intimidating, right? I mean, so you, you actually got to work directly with Sir Patrick Stewart. What do you remember yeah. about that day? Um, so Funny thing, actually, this will help. My grandfather, um, this lovely lady, her husband, he looks a lot like him, or he did look a lot like him, <laughs> which is why she probably had the hots for him because she did. She used to watch Next Generation. <laughs> but um, so it, I kind of felt like for a minute that I was being yelled at by my grandfather, and he, his, his demeanor in real life is very much like Picard. He was very, very stern. You know, he was a hard man, and. Um, but I also didn't feel very intimidating because when I would talk to him, when we weren't doing the lines, he's so sweet. He's such a nice guy. He's really, really sweet. And before we got any lines where he yells at me or anything, um, he came over and complimented me on my little falling back after I got stunned, you know? Um, so it made it, it kind of broke the ice there. And then Terry Metalis was nice enough to, before I even got started working my first day, he introduced me to Patrick Stewart. Yeah. That helped a lot. Sure. Yeah. And you just yeah. mentioned also, uh, you know, doing some stunt work there because there is uh, that first episode where there's that little battle scene that happens on the bridge. So you were actually doing that. You were, you were taking some real falls there. Yeah. Yeah. That's just dance. That's just dance. Do so I'm surprised dance. they let you do that because normally they'd have like a double pry come in or someone stand in, you know, do that for you. Mm-hmm. But you were just like, well, well, I should ask, was that your choice to do or 
was there just no double? Like, how did that work out? No, that's my choice to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they could have put a mat or something down. I was like, no, I'm fine. I can catch myself. And then they wouldn't have to move the cameras as much. And it was, I like doing stunt work. Like, I want to be able to do more things like that. There's a lot of skills that I have I'd like to do. So, yeah, why not? You have the ability. I mean, I know there weren't any real phasers going pew pew all around your head, but there are still you know, some explosions and pyros yeah. happening. Was that at all distracting to deal with? Uh, no, it made it real and it made it easier, actually. And uh, the phaser is really cool because you flip them over and on the bottom, it has a little, little gold etched, you know, <laughs> Star Trek. So that one's really cool. But yeah, all the explosions and everything going around kind of made it easier on like the cues and everything. And um, Douglas, the director, was really good at like yelling and explosion and this and phasers and you're down. And <laughs> so it was it was well done. It was well thought out and choreographed. Now, you were part of a pretty important, huge scene in that season of Picard, too, which, by the way, for folks who haven't seen it yet, spoiler alert, we're going to get into basically like the ending right now of the uh, season. But, you know, here, here it goes. So, you know, you're there in the beginning of the season. We don't quite know what's happening. And we see you again. Uh, I think whatever, how many episodes it was later, I think it was 10 episodes. Um, mm-hmm. And we discover that Agnes is now the new, kinder, gentler Borg queen. Uh, right. So I'm curious... Did you guys shoot this back to back? Was there any chronological ordering of this? Did you guys actually go like in order of scene to scene? Uh, was there a break in the shooting? Or was it all just, let's do it in these two weeks? So the all the Stargazer stuff was shot together. That has back the bridge to and everything. Yeah, that was back to back. And then most of it is for convenience like that. And um, all of the, everything else they did, there was, because when it's a like a time traveling type, um show or movie or anything like that for the most part i'm assuming because i wasn't there for those other days that they were shooting the other um episodes um you're just going to shoot everything in that location there throughout the course of time which is impressive for continuity right because you have to make it look like it's happening here and there and this time and how it all jumps around so yeah we did all the stargazer stuff back to back that included me and the other bridge crew members and not only are you privy to that script before, you know, all of us Trekkies get to see what happens, but you also get to see Agnes as this new, gentler, kinder Borg Queen, as I mentioned. Uh, now, you know, I, I know you're not like the biggest Trekkie out there, but what did you think about that storyline? What did you think about seeing uh, this this character and the way they were p- portrayed, basically, when you first got on set to the way they were in that final day of set? I think it's cool. I think it's a cool character change-up. Um, especially because when you see her in the beginning, the first season of Picard, um, she seems a lot softer, mm. you know what I mean? But then they, there's moments where you're like, I don't know, is this a good person or a bad person? So it's kind of cool that they full circle touch base on, well, yeah, both basically. And how hard was it to keep that secret for so long about what the heck happens at the end of Picard season two? Uh, mm, I mean, it was pretty difficult, but at the same time, it was kind of, I had a weird on, like, I liked that I had a secret that other people <laughs> couldn't know. I told my therapist. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> you got to get it out to somebody, right? Um, so it wasn't too hard. It was kind of fun to keep it. But once I was able to just be like, hey, this is the show. This is what's, oh, yeah. It was heyday. It was fun. Now, did you actually watch the episodes back once they aired? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of your performance? Are you happy with it? I did pretty good. Yeah, I was actually impressed. I was like, oh, I was actually pretty proud of myself. There were moments, of course, where I was hard on myself. And I'm like, oh, you know, but 
you're not, you know, nobody ever really likes themselves that much on screen or likes the sound of their own voice. I think if I loved myself too much on screen, that maybe wouldn't be very healthy. <laughs> well, you know, Adele, throughout this entire interview, we've talked about the many, many different things that you've done. You are a ballerina. You're a heavy metal rock band singer. Uh, you're an actress now. You probably juggle and blow fire as well. I don't quite know. But, uh, you know, you do a lot of different things here. So uh, just just aerial fabric and I ride a motorcycle. But close. Those okay, are, that's close. Cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You're, you're trained to be an American gladiator. I mean, who knows what else, really? But, uh, yeah, you know, so, <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, so, what is going to be the end goal for you? I mean, what do you see yourself doing 50 years from now? 50 years from now. Um, I think 50 years from now, I, like at the end of my career, hmm, probably doing some choreography, doing some dance works, but also um, trying to, direct more, putting dance onto film, uh, maybe even making my own films. I'd like to write, maybe direct. I definitely want to like create a lot more in my older ages, my older years to come when I'm to the point of wanting to be done, just inspiring other people and helping other people to get where they want in their careers as well, because that's the only way I've gotten where I am now, right? Hmm. Is the people that, you know, 50 years later, that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, since you mentioned it twice, I got to press you on this one now. You know, we, we talked about how you want to do more stuff with dance on film. So yeah. what stuff is it that you don't necessarily like that you've seen on screen? And what do you want to do differently that you think you could bring to the table to make it, I guess, I don't want to use the word better, but to make it what you want it to be? Um, hiring dancers, actual dancers, <laughs> and hiring dancers that are very professional. And just the continuity, like doing the homework, because um, Ballet needs to evolve past where it is. It's the stage and theater is great, but we're so into media now. Everything's on social media. You can watch everything on YouTube. You can see everything on streaming. And I think ballet and dance, but primarily ballet needs to evolve into that as well. And there's room for it. So we just hire dancers, hire professional ballet dancers that actually have a really good resume and that actually know what they're doing. And um, try and get the works that ballet companies do on stage to where people can see on streaming services or see it on on TV or movies more often. And to do it right, because so many people are just doing it kind of wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about it from a visual perspective also and like how dancing is filmed, that kind of thing. And I can think of so many yeah. movies that they've done it really well and you really feel the energy, you really feel the choreography and it has a meaning and a soul. Mm -hmm. And then I can think of other things where it just looks like they're going through the motions and it loses all of its importance. So, uh, you yeah. know, I, I hope that's something you, you want to work on too, because that would be so cool to get, you know, like, you know, just, and this is a fun little fact too, you know, like the, uh, the person who directed West Side Story also uh, worked on Star Trek, the motion picture directed that, or I believe yeah. it might be the editor actually of West Side Story. But um, yeah, it's really cool because like that film, I feel like in particular, the original West Side Story uh, is just like, one of the perfect dance movies and the way they did the dancing. Like yeah. that to me is a prototype of what a dance film should be like. And then I saw the remake and I'm like, it's not quite there. You know, it, it kind of yeah. lost that heart and soul. So um, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's the visual language of it, the visual vocabulary and what gets lost on the way of what you guys do on screen versus on stage. I think a lot of directors back in the day, like, because when we first started making film, we made it, we're making film using theater actors and using theater dancers and singers that knew how to do things live. So they, they, you know, the work is different. They had to work a little harder, both sides of it. The directors did and the performers did. Also the directors had to know 
what angle to get the dancers or what angle to get all of that. But there's like somehow the connection between the two, there's this big got lost a bit. And I think we kind of need to get back into that. And I think that would probably make, make it much more entertaining and look so much stronger. Absolutely. And I just looked it up because I I totally blamed the person's name. That was Robert Wise who directed West Side Story and then went on to direct Star Trek, the motion picture. So how about that weird connection? That's right. Yeah, dude, small world. It's just right. a small world. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Adele, I'm, I'm really hoping that we get to see you again in Star Trek and much later on in your career as well, because I have these questions I like to lighten around my guests. Um, and I want to hear your answers in like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now. But let's do this for now. Let's see what we get out of you here. So uh, lightning round questions, starting with best gig you've ever had and the worst gig you've ever had. And I want okay. you to spill some tea here. Tell us what made it so terrible. Okay. The, do you want the best gig first? Uh, unless the worst gig is that much powerful that you got to do it first, but up to you. Obviously, Star Trek is the best gig so far. That's amazing. No it's bias just, from us here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to get favorites or anything either, but no. And then the worst gig I ever had. Um, there's a music video out there that's not good at all. It's really bad. It's really tacky. And I don't, I highly recommend nobody ever try and find it ever. Because if you try and find it, I will find you. And probably just cry. But anyways, um, it's me just carrying like two things of apple juice that are supposed to look like beer. And I have like this corset on. And like, I like, I'm just being this blonde, busty ditz. And I just spill it like all over me. (laughs) And it's like way at the beginning of my acting career. And so that's out there somewhere floating around in space i really thought that threat was leading up to you like you know i'm gonna hunt you down i'm gonna get on my motorcycle and run you over but no it's just crying so that that's that makes it extra sad i mean i'll probably show up on my motorcycle i'll look tough but if you don't run away i'll probably just just crying like i'll just like please don't <laughs> all right Adele. well how about a moment from your performing career that was the most challenging for you that became the most rewarding the most challenging that became the most rewarding Ooh. This is supposed to be lightning round and I am slow moving lightning. Um, to be fair, these questions are very unlightning like. <laughs> oh, um, first ballet company I was in before I got a promotion or anything. Um, one of the dancers turned her ankle and she couldn't dance in Giselle. And if you are a ballet dancer, you'll know this. Um, in two weeks, I had to learn all of the second act of the Willies in Giselle the ballet basically you're never off stage the entire time so it's like 45 minutes of just straight dancing i had to learn the whole thing in like two weeks it's a marathon yeah that was crazy to fill in for her and i did it and i'm very proud of that so this question i'm gonna actually twist up a little bit here because normally i ask my guests what's the most valuable piece of advice someone ever told told you about life or acting that you still think about today but i'm gonna twist it in honor of your grandma today so i want to ask you What's the most valuable piece of advice that she ever gave you that you still think about today? That I still think about today. Um, if you don't try, you're not going to know. Doesn't doesn't matter. Don't be afraid. You're still afraid. Doesn't matter. Get out of your head. Who cares? She went to an audition to be a rockhead, and she's not a very tall woman. And they were like, "How tall are you?" And she was like, five five ish." And they were like, "We need five six or five seven plus." She's like, "Well, it didn't hurt to try." You know, and because and later on, because she did that, somebody did offer her a different job. But you never know. Like, don't be afraid to be bold and try. The worst they're going to say is no. 
And it was going to be no if you didn't try anyways. So shout out to all the grandmas out there. Thank uh, you, grandmas. <laughs> so last thing, Adele, what's the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Best thing about being part of the Star Trek universe, the fans, they're super cool. They're good people. I didn't know a lot about Star Trek. It wasn't a big thing. Forgive me, but I was much bigger into Star Wars and actually I'm a big, big Lord of the Rings person. Um, but when I got cast in it, um, or even just when I first got the audition, I was like, I need to study my Star Trek. So I did because out of respect the fans, like if I'm going to be doing this, I want to know what's important to them. I want to know as much about it as I can so that I'm not just like, Oh, I'm just an actor in a role. Cause that's, just, I just think that's kind of rude. Right. But the fans are so nice. And if I don't know something or somebody would comment on some of my posts on Instagram and stuff about it, and I get to learn things from them and they're just, they're so into it. They're diehard, diehard fans. And then they love it. And then they're always willing to help you learn too, if you don't know something. And much respect to you also, you know, and a lot of folks in the show usually aren't Trekkies. A lot of them are as kids, but a lot of them aren't. And, you know, I much respect to you for going out there and actually doing the homework, doing your due yeah. diligence and, you know, at least uh, getting some kind of respect for the franchise because it is such a big, wide open world and it's a pretty great fandom. It's a, it's a cool franchise too. It's huge. It's a big oh, one. There's, you can always learn something new about it too. And it's only 56 years old. No big thing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And by the way, Adele, real quick, what is your Instagram for any folks who want to follow you and see all your updates? At Adele Marie Pomeranke. Well, you know, Adele, like I said a little bit earlier in this interview, you know, I hope that you get some more Star Trek roles because I want to have you back on the show and see where you are 10, 15, 20 years from now because uh, you've got a great career ahead of you. You've got so many different talents and I really, really wish you the most success in finding a way to combine all of them and just making all your dreams come true. So thank you again for chatting with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold, which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. Or pick up some merchandise from our store, or use my Amazon shop link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast, too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.